Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Yesterday, I spent the day preparing a message. Then yesterday evening, I thought, no, that's not what I'm supposed to preach on. I was praying, and this other thought dropped in my heart. So I wrote another message. Then I went to bed, and uh, I don't know what it is about fasting. I can't sleep. I'm like a woman on menopause. I can't sleep. And uh, man, I, 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 I just laid there from 10 to 3.30, just staring at the ceiling. And so then I grabbed my phone and just started typing out some thoughts. And that's the sermon you're going to get this morning. I'll try not to preach all three, okay? Uh, we're we're going to receive communion this morning. Matter of fact, uh, Evan, could you grab that? Or, or, yeah, thank you, John. I appreciate that, sir. Um, we're going to receive communion at the end of the service. And really, I don't like to serve communion without at least doing a little teaching on it. Because I think a lot of times it's just a tradition that we go through, but we don't really understand the value of it. We don't understand the purpose of it. We don't understand what we're entering into. And so what I want to look at this morning is, I want to look at the, 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 uh, the idea that the blood of Jesus answers the demand of heaven, answers the human need, and also can be wielded as a weapon against the enemy. So we have a need in heaven, on earth, and in hell, and the blood of Jesus answers all three. But those are progressive. If you don't comprehend the value of the blood in the sense that Jesus, or the Father rather, values the blood. If we don't understand why the Father values the blood, we won't be able to apply it to our own lives, and we won't be able to use it against the enemy. And so I want us to get a real thorough understanding this morning. By the grace of God, I'm just going to do a little teaching on this. This isn't so much a uh, preaching as much as a teaching. You know, the, you know what the difference is? They say that uh, preaching or teaching is telling and preaching is yelling. So it's going to be more telling. I might yell a little bit. but uh, So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wonderful atmosphere, Lord, that you come when we worship you. It's an amazing thing. Lord, that you would condescend to this little room because a bunch of hungry people showed up and called on your name. And Father, we're so grateful. And Lord, I ask this morning that you'd anoint my lips, anoint our ears to hear. And Lord, let the real teacher, the Holy Spirit of God, come and instruct our hearts. Encourage us, provoke us, and grant us understanding. Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that your teaching would fall like rain. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. There's a number of scriptures we could start with. Tell you what, let's do this. Last week, uh, I don't remember all that we preached, taught on last week, but I do remember we were in Hebrews chapter 2. We were talking about that. And Hebrews chapter 2 really is a good jump off point for the blood of Jesus. Because the first thing that the blood was for, the blood was for the Father. 
Uh, it was several years ago now, I, I discovered, some of you, you might think, duh, pastor, I knew that long. I didn't know this, that there's a difference between the shed blood and the sprinkled blood. Same blood, but a different activity. The shed blood is towards the Father. The sprinkled blood is used on ourselves. The shed blood satisfies God, but the sprinkled blood cleanses us. It cleanses our conscience. And that's not some new thing in the New Testament. All through the Old Testament, things were sanctified by the sprinkling of blood. So the shed blood satisfies the demand of heaven. The sprinkled blood satisfies the human need. You could put it this way. There's, there's many ways we could jump at this. You put it this way. The, the, the need of man is twofold. We have a dilemma. We have guilt. But it's two forms of guilt. There's legal guilt. We are guilty of a crime. Of offending a holy God through sin. But we also have psychological guilt. That feeling that disqualifies us. And even when the legal precedence of heaven is satisfied by the blood, there's many believers that live outside his presence because their conscience bothers them. And the blood is the answer to both, according to Scripture. Because the blood first satisfies the demand of God, and then it is used by us to cleanse our own conscience. But if you don't understand how it satisfies God, you won't be able to cleanse your conscience with the blood. And then you won't be able to use that against the enemy. And there's a, there's a theme throughout this that I hope God will help me to articulate this morning. So here's the deal. The blood of Jesus is valuable to the Father because it satisfied every righteous requirement he had for man. We talked about it last week, how the first Adam, Adam and Eve, God formed him in the garden. And we talked about how in Genesis 2.26, it says, Let us make man in our own image. In the image of God, he made him. Male and female, he made them. And I was saying this, that I proposed to you that that making was a process and that image was potential. What I mean by that is Adam and Eve were not the finished product. That God was making them over a period of time. Adam at the beginning was not what God was after. He put him in the middle of the garden and allowed him to be, allowed that, that, uh, that tree of forbidden fruit to be in the middle of the garden because the only way to produce character is through choice for them to choose God over their own desires. And what God was doing, you see this in a number of different scriptures. There's one passage that says, uh, you know, Jesus is bringing many sons to glory. It's a process, bringing. Uh, he's he's uh, making us holy. He's completing us or perfecting us. All of that is really the same, same idea that God, we begin in the born-again experience, and he grows us up through a series of, of choices and, and a life, and we, we side with heaven. That's why in Hebrews chapter 2, it also says it was fitting that the captain or the, uh, th there's another word for it, and then the other one, I think the NAS says, pioneer of their salvation, our salvation, should be made perfect through suffering. It says it's fitting that he should be made perfect through suffering, why? Because that's the way all who come behind him will be made perfect through suffering. And we talked about this, that Jesus is, was not born perfect. 
The Bible says he was made perfect through suffering and once made perfect became the source of eternal salvation. It doesn't say he was born perfect. That's why it wouldn't have been good enough for Jesus to be in the manger and Herod to take him out. And then instead of crosses, we'd hang little mangers on our necklaces. It couldn't have purchased our salvation. He had to go through everything, every temptation, and he had to conquer it. He had to face every enticement. He had to conquer sin and temptation. I was just listening to a C.S. Lewis book this morning while I was getting ready. And uh, he, he said this. He said, many who live in, you know, live in darkness, they look at the church as prudes who really don't know about sin. They don't know about evil. He said, that's not true. He said, the people who give in early don't know about sin. It's only those who ride that thing and they, they resist it to the end. They're the only ones who really know. They're the only ones who really know temptation. I remember years ago, I was counseling a young man at Teen Challenge, and he said this. He said, I, he said I've gone through suffering my whole life. He said, Jesus only suffered three hours on a cross. Big deal. And I moved away, less lightning strike. And then I informed him that Jesus suffered his whole life. Hebrews chapter 2 or 3, it says, Jesus suffered as he was tempted. And then that suffering perfected him, it says later on. So it was through temptation that Jesus, that God put a demand on that seed of humanity within him. But just like Adam and Eve... Adam and Eve were not the finished product. Jesus was not the finished product when he was born. He wasn't even the finished product as a 30-year-old man. He had to be tempted in every way like as us and yet remain pure. And then he was perfected. And once made perfect, then he became the source of eternal salvation. Now, as a safeguard, I'm not implying that Jesus was sinful and came out of that. He was innocent, but he wasn't perfect. And there is a difference. And we talked about that last week, so you can go back and look at it. But this has everything to do with the value of the blood. Because Jesus had to finish the race. He had to take, resume the path that the first Adam got us off. That's why in Hebrews chapter 2 when it says, it is fitting that the captain, or I, rem, I forget the other term. There was three different terms I've come across. But there's captain of our salvation, and then there's the pioneer of our salvation. I prefer this one. Now that word, it's probably many faceted. It can mean many different things. It's many faceted, and so you can approach it from different angles. But because of the subject matter we're on, I like that angle of he is the pioneer of our salvation. Why? Because the first Adam got us in the ditch. And the second Adam had to pioneer away through the tangled undergrowth of sin to get us back on the path so we could continue on. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, go into all the world and make converts. Because that's not what God was after. He wanted disciples, full-grown sons and daughters. And so when you sign up with Jesus, you've signed up for training for the rest of your life. God is perfecting you. 
And if you sign up thinking, oh, now everything will be okay, got some bad news for you. Because it's those circumstances that will test you and form you. And I said it Wednesday night. Like many of you, I've been through some things in life. I've been through some heartache and some disappointment. And I'm telling you, it's been worth it all. Everything. Because I got something from God that I would have never touched had I not went through that. And I can't win. The loss of loved ones, I'll see them again. All that stuff, I'm telling you, it is worth it. And if we can get our mind around that, he's the pearl of great price, not a peaceful, quiet life. And if you choose that, you, you begin to push yourself away from the training table. And at best, you damn yourself to immaturity. And at worst, you damn yourself. And so we need to just get our mindset right up front. We are, warrior, we are soldiers at war. We are students in a school. We are growing up. And hey, God blesses. And I, I, I think, man, I sat last night and just wept in bed with the Lord. Just, I can't believe how much God's blessed my life. Those are all fringe benefits. He didn't have to do any of that. Because you know what? He's worth it all. He is worth it. And you can have it all as long as I can keep him. And if we have that mindset, then God can grow us up into him who is, who is the head. And so Jesus came as the second Adam, Scripture says. He stepped into this process, and he was tempted in every way like as us, but remained without sin. He conquered sin. He, didn't, he, he rode that bronco till he tamed it. He broke sin. And then he offered up his life with the final act of obedience, obedience unto death, Philippians 2 says. And so Jesus was being made perfect and once made perfect. So he reached perfection. Now, the word perfect in the New Testament means completed. It doesn't mean, uh, although Jesus was flawless, what it means is, what God put within you in seed form as a destiny is realized in full blossom in your life. You've, been, you've, been, you've completed the call on your life. I mean, I just look out at this room. Man, there, is, there are riches not yet tapped. And we've got to yield to the Father, and he'll, he'll cause us to bloom. Okay, so what does all this have to do with the blood? Well, Leviticus, I want to say it's chapter 16, verse 14, but I, don't quote me. Um, Bill Culver may want to yell it out to me here. Uh, but Le Leviticus says, the life is in the blood. That is a spiritual principle. It's a, re a revelation of the mystery of creation. That your lifeblood contains your life. The sum total of Jesus' life was in that blood. And so when Jesus poured out his life, he poured out his blood, it wasn't valuable to the Father merely because he was his son. I'm sure that 
came into the equation. But that's not why it's powerful for you and I. My blood is precious to him because I'm his son, but not at the level of Jesus. Why? Because the life that was in Jesus' blood was a completed life. It was a perfected life. It was a life that satisfied every righteous requirement of the Father. So that's why we pick up in Hebrews chapter 9. It says that Jesus came into, he, he came into the holy of holies. And he said, then he, he pauses. He said, not the holy of holies built by human hands. That's just a replica. That's a, 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 a an example on the earth of the real holy of holies in the heavenlies. It's God's throne room. And Jesus came in. He was both the sacrificial lamb who gave his life, poured out his blood, but he was also a high priest that delivered that blood to the Father. Just as a high priest would year after year, once a year. And he would present it to the Father. They'd pour it on the mercy seat. Jesus came and he presented. And this, this is a powerful statement. Hebrews 9 says, he approached God on the basis of his own righteousness, his own righteous life. What an amazing thing to say. And he will be the only human being that will ever do that. He's the only one ever qualified to be able to stand before the Father based on his own righteousness. And he presented himself to the Father, presented his blood, and God said, it is finished. It's, he is satisfied. Because what God was looking for, the dream in God's heart. you got to understand, the word of the Lord will not return to him void. And when God said, way back in Genesis chapter 2, let us make man in our own image, that word was not going to return void. When Adam and Eve failed to fulfill that word, God sent the word to fulfill that word. And God was going to stubbornly pursue that thing until it was done. And Jesus was the expression of that stubborn pursuit of God saying, I will have a man in my own image. And so Jesus was perfected through what he suffered. And he presented himself as the, the finished work. He's, it, was, it was not just his death. His life satisfied the Father. He gave it to the Father on our behalf. So when you and I think of the blood of Jesus, we need to understand what it provides for you and I is a perfect life. It provides us access because the one thing God demands of us is a perfect life. A life that has fulfilled every righteous requirement. Of course, we don't have that in and of ourselves. But we do have it in the blood of Christ. And so we can take that blood and present it to the Father. That's why we sing songs like, Enter the Holy of Holies, enter by the blood of the Lamb. When the Lord began to teach me about this years ago, it was 1988, I remember the year, 88 into 89, I, I was just finishing up Bible school, and I was a young man that was very, very sincere about my walk with God. I had come out... God graciously delivered me. And I was so grateful just, man, to have my life back and to not, not be so demonized and oppressed. And uh, I wanted to serve him with all my heart. The problem is I had sincerity with a misunderstanding of the gospel. 
And when you have those two things, what it will produce is burnout. You will quickly come to the end of yourself. And I remember laying on my Bible school floor and saying, God, I'm done. I can't do this. I can't live the Christian life. I needed to come to that spot. I didn't understand all that. And I remember telling the Lord, God, I guess I just had five years in me. I'd gotten saved in 83, I think. I said, well, I guess, Lord, I had only had five years of Christianity in me. It's all I have to give you. I, I felt like I couldn't fast enough. I couldn't pray enough. I couldn't read the word enough. I just, I was introspective and always examining my heart, trying to see if there's any sin. I, I really believe that there were several disciplines. You read the word, you pray, you fast, and then you examine your heart and get real introspective every morning. Try that. Try to stay in a good mood when you do that. I'm reminded of Helen Keller. She had this, uh, not Helen Keller, but uh, Corey Tenboom. Why did I say Helen Keller? Corey Tenboom. She, she had this wonderful phrase. Look around you, be distressed. Look within, be depressed. <laughs> Look to Christ, be at rest. And God was trying to get my eyes off of me because I was trying to earn his favor. Galatians speaks of this. See, I understood I'm saved by grace, but then I thought the rest is up to me. Paul said to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? You were saved by the Spirit. You were saved by grace. Now you think you must do the rest on your own? Oh, you foolish Galatians. Oh, you foolish Dave Olson. I had bought into a lie. Here's the thing. If you're a believer that has a misunderstanding of the gospel and you're not sincere, you'll never burn out because you don't care when you fail. But if you really have a heart for God and you want to please him, it will pain your heart because you want to you please the one who has been so good to you. But if, you're do, if you have a misunderstanding of the gospel, you feel like you've got to present him this life of your own rather than him doing a work in you. You look at Christianity as an imitation of Christ rather than a participation in him. And so you work yourself into the ground. Now, the fact is, if you have a proper, if you're sincere and you have a proper understanding of the gospel, you won't burn out either. Because he is the fire within you. And he will, he will sustain you. But it demands that we have this understanding. And so the irony is, it's the, the most sincere Christians who often live in condemnation. And I lived under condemnation. Continual accusation. There was a psychological issue in my own mind, but there was also a demonic issue. The enemy was playing off that and accusing me day and night before the throne. And I would take that on as my identity. And I felt more and more defeated all the time. And it was then, in, in that season, God began to take me through the scriptures and teach me about the blood of Jesus. And I remember at the tail end of that season, it was 1989, I was already working at Teen Challenge. We were in worship one Sunday night uh, at a local church here. And uh, I don't remember what I was going through. I don't remember the details. All I remember, and this is the wonderful thing about trials, you follow Jesus, you'll forget the trial, but you'll remember the nugget you got from it. And I remember I was standing in worship, and all of a sudden I saw this vision. I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know it, you know. I was thinking that a vision had to be all of a sudden I'm totally immersed and I'm in another country and I'm feeling and I'm smelling and, and all that. But I saw this vivid picture 
of this huge room. I was standing outside and I, I was looking in and it, it was bigger than a gymnasium. And the floor was like glass. It was beautiful. And I knew intuitively in my spirit, it's the throne room. And I so wanted to go in. And I thought, I, I, I'm not worthy. And I looked down at the threshold of the door and there was blood all over the threshold. And the Lord said, you can only enter by my blood. When we grasp the value of the shed blood, we can then present that to the Father. And we come to him. And I, I, during that season, I would go through these mental exercises. I, would train, I was retraining my mind because it was so deeply embedded in me, this legalism that thought I had to earn God's favor. And so I would go through these mental exercises and I would come and worship and I would say, God, here I am. And I know the one requirement you have of me is a perfect life. And I don't have that in and of, of myself. But what I do have is this bowl of your son's blood. And there's a perfect life in this blood. And I give you a perfect life. And I would picture the father saying, come in. Come boldly before my throne. And if you struggle with entering God's presence, if you struggle with guilt, if you struggle with feeling unworthy, you need to get this truth. You need to get rooted and established in this thing so it becomes the foundation that Jesus' righteous life fulfilled every requirement on your behalf. And therefore, you can come boldly before the throne of grace in your time of need. We need to grasp the reason the Father values the blood of Jesus is because in that blood is the life of Jesus. And that life pleased the Father at every turn, obeyed the Father at great cost, and then poured it out on our behalf. It's a perfect life. So in that sense, it satisfies the Father. Jesus entered the holy place on the basis of his own righteous life. And you and I, can do the same on the basis of his righteous life. Now, Hebrews 10 talks about, Hebrews, Hebrews 9 talks about uh, sprinkling, uh, the, by the blood we, we're sprinkled of, 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 a, clear, of a, a guilty conscience. It's removed. Hebrews 10 then goes on to say that we are cleansed, our heart is cleansed of a guilty conscience. You got to take those two verses together because in chapter 9 he says it's by the blood that we deal with the uh, dirt, you know, uh, unclean conscience. And then in chapter 10 it says he, we cleanse our hearts of a guilty conscience. Well, chapter 9 tells us the, the method by which that happens. It's by the blood. We cleanse our conscience by the blood. Now, the word conscience that we translate into English is a compound word. Con, meaning with, and science, knowledge, with knowledge. In other words, your conscience is based upon what you already believe. That's why Paul says, if you, know, if you feel anything that's not done in faith is sin. If you violate your conscience, you're violating what you think is wrong and you're siding with evil above what is right, even if you're wrong about what is wrong. Does that make sense? Because it's a heart issue. You may be wrong, and as you grow in the Lord, you realize, oh, I have more liberty in this area. 
I mean, I used, you want to talk about legalists. I would literally, when Bible school, all, every Bible school I went to, I went to two of them, you had to wear a suit and tie every day. The first one I went to, you had to show up at 6.45 a.m. in your suit and tie. We'd pledge allegiance to the American flag and to the, to the Christian flag. And they, they would make you cut your hair so short that he's, the guy that ran it, he said, when I met him, I was in Teen Challenge. Now, this was back when guys had their hair down here. He said, Boy, you need a haircut. I mean, I had it mid-ear. I'm like, I'm feeling like a geek already, you know? And he said, you need a haircut. He said, I want it so short that if you pull it down, it won't touch your ear. And then he looked at me and said, because if I can control your hair, I can control you. And I thought, oh, Jesus, are you really leading me here? <laughs> and he was. It was good for me. But I would get up in the morning and actually pray, God, what, what tie do you want me to wear? I'd put one on. No, that doesn't feel right. It's not the Lord. I mean, I was mixed up. My heart was sincere in it, but I was a legalist. And uh, I needed some instruction. But here's the thing. It would have been wrong for me to violate my conscience. I needed instruction because the heart attitude was what was really important. Now, freedom comes through knowledge and protection comes through that knowledge. Understanding the word correctly. Now I don't pray about what I wear. Some of you may think, Pastor, you should, but you know, I, I don't. So uh, where was I? Okay, so here's the thing. Our conscience has a tendency to condemn us based on our past. And it's by the blood of Jesus. It's taking what satisfies the Father, the shed blood, and then using it at the sprinkled blood on our own hearts. See, you can be right with God and not feel you are. There are a lot of people that are right with God, but they don't feel right with God. And they forfeit the wonderful opportunity, the invitation to enter into God's presence because they don't feel worthy. The shed blood has satisfied the Father on their behalf. They're good. But the sprinkled blood, they don't know how to apply it. And so they stand on the outside. This sprinkled blood was how they sanctified the elements in the temple. And it's also the beginning of sanctification for you and I. You cannot be sanctified. What I mean by that word, if you're not familiar with sanctified, you cannot grow in holiness and grow up and really begin to grow up in the Lord. You can't do that unless you have a foundation of appreciating the blood and then how to apply it to your own life. You're not going to be able to walk with God in maturity and go on to the the greater things until that foundation is laid and you know how to apply the blood to your life. You've got to learn to apply the blood, to sprinkle the blood, to sanctify your life, to set yourself aside. And the way you do that is understanding that it satisfies the Father and retraining your mind and going through that exercise. Okay, God, I feel guilty. If there is true, if you're truly guilty of something, then repent and keep short accounts. But don't, don't buy into the lie that you've got to spend time in the penalty box. 
I don't know about you, but I did that a lot when I was first saved. Oh, I blew it. So I'm going to spend time in the penalty box. I'll feel like I can't really go into God's presence for three days. And then after, on the fourth day, well, it kind of seems in a little bit in the past now. Now I feel righteous. That's whacked. But common. <laughs> and so what we got to do is understand the value. How does, how does God value it? And then learn to apply that in our own relationship with him. And continue to learn so you can train your conscience to align with the word of God. Because your conscience, you need to obey your conscience. But it doesn't. Paul said, I have a clear conscience. But that doesn't mean I'm innocent. Direct quote, Apostle Paul. He's, he's, he's reliable. <laughs> you can have a clean conscience and really have an issue you don't know about. And you can have a guilty conscience and not be guilty. It's a psychological thing. And so we need to continue to learn. And as we learn, then we can come before the throne of grace with great boldness. But we need to, because the third component of this thing, there's God, us, and the enemy. There's heaven, earth, and hell. God is satisfied. We're learning to retrain our minds to keep a, a healthy conscience. But the enemy is always reaching in and leveraging the lies we believe and trying to, what he's trying to do is redefine your identity. All spiritual warfare at its root is an attempt to redefine who you are. So again, you can be a righteous son of God, but if the enemy has convinced you you're not, you can't live in the good of that. And so we need to learn how to cleanse our mind of a guilty conscience. But then we also need to, so you put it this way. There's the shed blood, the sprinkled blood, and the wielded blood. The blood we use as a weapon. Same blood, different postures, addressing different needs. The wielded blood is used towards the enemy. You're all familiar with the famous verse. And they overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. Do you realize the context of that verse? Each one of those are used Satan word. The blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and loving not your life unto the death are all used against the enemy. These are weapons of our warfare. That's the context. They're used against him. So how do I use the blood against the enemy? The enemy comes as your accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's also the accuser of the father. But he'll try to accuse you in order to redefine you, to pull you back into your past, to pull you into that old identity and convince you that you haven't changed. And there are what Paul refers to in Ephesians 6, evil days. There are some days where the, the warfare is more intense than others. There are times where it seems like all hell breaks loose. 
Thank God not every day is an evil day. But those days when the enemy is barraging your mind and telling you you're a loser and there is no hope. And look at all, all this time you've walked with God and you still think these things and still act like this. And he's trying to play off some, some activity, some thought to redefine you and tell you that wasn't a momentary thought. That, is, that came from who you are. That is your identity. And what does Paul say? In the evil day, stand. You, you, don't, you don't have to give up this heroic fight. Just stand your ground because you can outlast the enemy on those days. And then he goes out, he said, stand. And then when you've done all, stand. Just stand that ground and weather the storm and hold to your identity and hold to who he is in your life and hold to the blood of Jesus as your righteousness. Now, why is the blood so valuable in regards to the enemy? Because the enemy's primary activity in your life is to accuse you. And when you really understand the blood, you see the enemy comes to you and says, hey, what, what about that thought or the way you interacted with so-and-so or the, that what you just did there? What about that? I thought you were a Christian, some Christian you are. And he begins to give you this argument. Now, Matthew chapter, I want to say it's chapter 5. It's in the Sermon on the Mount 5, 6, or 7. Uh, Jesus has this strange counsel to us. He said, agree with thine adversary when you're on your way to the judge, lest he... In essence, he's saying, lest he have you indicted. Now, what in the world is that about? Agree with your adversary? It's like he's assuming that every time we're guilty. What he's saying is this. Our adversary, the devil, is trying to accuse us. What did you, Scripture says he, he accuses us Night and day before the throne of God. How does he get before the throne? It's not that he's before the throne. It's that you are. And you are on your way to the throne. And he is accusing you before the throne to get you to pull out of that relationship. And take on this identity. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And you know what? You aren't. And that's what you need to tell the enemy. You agree with him. That's right, devil. I'm not worthy. I never was. And that's why Jesus resisted every temptation you threw at him. And he broke your back. And I come in on the blood of the lamb, not my own righteousness. And it pulls the rug right out from underneath him. He has nothing to stand on. And so you see how it all goes back if we understand how the blood satisfies the father... Then we can understand, oh, the value is I'm going to retrain my mind. I'm going to begin to enter by the blood of the lamb. I'm not going to try to enter in on my own righteousness. And then when the enemy comes at us and tries to accuse us and pull us back into that old identity, which will, if you accept it, lead to your old behavior. When he tries to do that, we agree with him. That's right. I am not righteous. Matter of fact, what I just did is I proved the word of God true. There's nothing good in me. Thanks for reminding me, devil, about the power of the word. But I'm not coming based on my own righteousness. Now, what this demands is you take your struggles and bring them to a conscious level. Because a lot of times what happens, all this warfare is kind of in the back of our mind, unconsciously. We're not even thinking it, but we're living in a funk 
and we don't feel like we can come in and worship. There are some of you that come in here on Sundays and some days, man, you're rip-roaring going after it. And other days, you're kind of sitting back thinking, well, it would be a hypocrite if I worship this morning because of what I've done and how I feel. And I lovingly tell you, this is your pastor. That's ridiculous. Okay? Been there, but that's ridiculous. Jesus is just as worthy regardless of what you did. Okay? And, and in fact, here's the thing. You will never overcome besetting sins until you know how the Father values the blood. You can't. You're just going to be, you know, spinning your wheels in the mud of self-righteousness. It's when you, when you stop trying to earn and you say, God, I'm standing on the solid rock of your righteousness. That's where you begin to get some traction in your life. You begin to be secure in your identity because your identity is not in what you did. It's what in Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And so you stand in that righteousness And then God begins to build upon that. And here's the amazing thing. The righteousness you were wanting to present to him begins to be expressed in your life as actual living righteousness. Theologians make the the, uh, analogy, and I think it's, it's a very valid one, of your legal position and your living condition. Two separate things. The day I got saved... My legal position, my paperwork in heaven, boom, son of God, forgiven. My living condition, not so much. You know, I've told you, the lady that led me to the Lord gave me money for a Bible. I went out and bought a keg. And I sat there and cried and spoke in tongues at this party that I threw. A bunch of bikers sitting around a picnic table with me. And I'm just crying, speaking in tongues. And I'm sure they were looking, you're one weird little dude, man. But you got free beer. I guess we'll hang with you tonight. I, the, different, the only difference in me after I got saved initially, I could no longer enjoy sin. It broke my heart to do it because I didn't want to hurt his heart. He'd been so good to me. And as I began to realize I'll never be good enough in and of myself. I was not meant to be. Then, when that became a foundation, my living condition began to grow up. Eh, you know, be honest. <laughs> Evil day. <laughs> you know, you know, and I get in line with my, my legal position. And so, the blood of Jesus is so valuable. Jesus came and resisted every temptation. And the Bible's explicit. He suffered when he was tempted. You know that old song, when he was on the cross, you were on his mind? I'm telling you, we were on his mind long before that. Every time he was enticed, he looked For the joy set before him, you are his joy. And he was looking at that, and he's thinking, I'll press through anything to get them. And he obeyed the Father and was obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross. When we realize that, you need to get this theology in your head. Train your belief system. God is already satisfied 
The problem is many of us don't believe it on our behalf. He's already satisfied with what Jesus did. Enter into that and retrain your mind so you can sprinkle your own heart with the, the blood that Jesus shed and presented to the Father. Get your hyssop. That's what they used in the Old Testament. I'm not even sure what that was. Some kind of weed, I think, and they'd put it in a bundle. You know, sprinkle it on your heart. And then when the enemy comes knocking, agree with them. Yeah, you're right. I'm telling you, condemnation can only come on the ground of self-righteousness. You are immune to the enemy's accusations when you're not living from a self-righteous perspective. And I'm not even, when I say self-righteous, I'm not talking about someone with their nose in the air that uh, you're beneath me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this thing of earning favor with God. That is the, it it can lead there to being snooty, (laughs) but it doesn't always manifest in that way. But only those who are trying to earn it are susceptible to condemnation. We'll close with this. There, uh, years ago, I was reading the commentary. I don't remember which one it was, but the guy said this. If the Bible is a ring, then Romans is the diamond, and Romans 8 is the sparkle on the diamond. And I agree. It starts with, there is therefore no condemnation, and it ends with, there is no separation. Whew, that's a sparkle. Amen. Let's get our communion elements this morning. If you don't have one, there's some right outside each door. Uh, at least these three, you know, these four here. Uh, matter of fact, John, John Lemmick's going around usher. So if you need one, just raise your hand and I will get that to you. Now understand, this is for believers. Uh, if you're not, if you do not know Jesus... Uh, we don't want you to partake of communion because it's a very serious thing. It's a very holy thing. And if you take it unworthily, you can bring sickness on yourself is what the scripture says. Man, we want to introduce you to our Jesus. Uh, we don't look down on you. Hey, we're just, we're just a bunch of beggars telling the other beggar where to find the bread, okay? But uh, we, just, we want to protect you and realize this is a holy thing. This, is, this represents the blood of the one who lived his entire life on our behalf. Just peel back that top. I'm so excited to eat. I mean, you got to be hungry to want this wafer. I think it's made of plastic. Let's lift it up to the Lord. We're going to quickly take, partake of communion. We're going to close in worship of our king. He's our champion. He's our pioneer, the one who paved the way for you and I. He cut the path through the undergrowth. All we got to do is follow. On the night that Jesus was to be arrested, he gathered his disciples for the Passover meal, and he inaugurated a new meal. We call it the Lord's Supper or Communion. And as he broke the bread, he reached out, he broke the bread, and he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. I want you to catch that. He would have done it for you. This is a personal thing. 
We can take it from a corporate perspective, but today we're going to take it from a personal perspective. Jesus allowed his body to be broken for you. You know, when he created you, he already knew the mistakes you would make. It's not like he was surprised at your behavior and thought, oh man, I'm not sure I should have bought that one. He already knew. And he says, you're worth it. And that broken body was from, not only the blood was for your spiritual and psychological needs, but this broken body is for your physical needs. Father, we thank you for giving your son. And Jesus, we thank you for coming. The Lord, not only for coming, but for staying and enduring the evil that our human brotherhood exacted upon you. The Lord, yet you looked with compassion upon us. We thank you. Now, Lord, we hold up this wafer as an expression, as a, a, a symbol of your body. And Lord, as we break it like your body was broken, just break it right now. Lord, in faith, we partake. You said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And Lord, today we eat your flesh. It's an honor to partake of you. Now, Lord, I'm asking that you would release your healing power in this room. And Lord, sicknesses would be healed this morning. Lord, things people are going through no one else knows about, diagnoses, scary hospital visits that they're going to go to this week. Lord, we take the healing and the wholeness for which you paid. Let's take it. Hallelujah. Then it says, Jesus then took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. It all centers on this. This is the new covenant in my blood. He said, whenever you do it, do so in remembrance of me until I come. It's an interesting thing. He says, do it in the now. And while you do, remember the past until I come in the future. He's covering it all. Just hold that up to the Lord. Jesus, we thank you that in this cup, it represents your life. Not just your birth, but a life lived in sacrifice and obedience and perfection. Jesus, we thank you for it. Now, Lord, as we drink of this, Lord, let that be a reality to us. Let's take it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.